This is an educational series by the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show. I wanted to give you a heads up that we had some technical difficulty on these four episodes on Ignatius of Antioch. The original seven first episodes of the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show were done on Clement of Rome at Ignatius of Antioch on a condenser mic, which failed, and I did not realize that it had failed until after I got into post-production for these four episodes on Ignatius of Antioch. So I had to use some backup audio. I want to give you a behind-the-scenes tour real quick of our studio where I have made some pretty sizable upgrades in order to give you a lot better quality and listening experience. So stick with these four episodes on Ignatius. I did polish the audio quite a bit, even though it's backup, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks. So as we get towards the second part of our episode today, we're going to be working into Ignatius' Epistle of the Romans. Uh, it's a lot shorter than some of the early works, and I'm only going to focus on seven chapters and the greeting of it. Uh, again, I think it's it's only a total of you know, 10 chapters uh, plus the introduction. So let's um, let's take a few minutes and kind of work through this as we wrap up today. Looking here at the greeting. The church which is beloved and enlightened by the will of him that wills all things which are according to the love of Jesus Christ our God, which also presides in the place of the region of the Romans, worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of the highest happiness, worthy of praise, worthy of obtaining her every desire, worthy of being deemed holy, and which presides over love, is named from Christ, to those who are united, both according to the flesh and spirit, and to every one of his commandments. So I kind of talked about this a little bit in our first episode on who Ignatius was, and what we could learn from his doctrines and writings, and his teachings on on the Christian faith. But, I mean, this is such a, a, a very explicit perspective on you know, the preeminent place of the church in Rome, you know, at that time period in the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century. And we'll see this a little bit in some of the later works, especially of Irenaeus of Leon. But um, you could tell that regardless of how we would define that in later terminology and formula, you could tell that um, that Rome had some very overwhelming influence and authority. Now, we would have to relate on later debates and stuff like that to clarify what that meant, presiding over love. I think Quaston uh, did a pretty good summary there of the various interpretations and understandings of that. You know, but um, I'm going to let you guys dig into that some more on your own. Let's skip down here to chapter 2. Pray then, do not seek to confer any greater favor upon me that I may be sacrificed to God while the altar is still prepared. So he's talking about the altar of his martyrdom. And he's on his way to be, you know, executed. And he's like, don't interfere. And again, this is kind of what I talked about, that like crazy fresh spirit of his, where he's like, you know, you're doing me a disservice if you interrupt me. Like, he's like, I want to die for Christ. I want to be an imitator of the passion of my God. Skipping now to chapter three, that I may not be merely called a Christian, but in reality found to be one. For if I be truly found one, I can then be called one and then deemed faithful when I will no longer appear to the world. And so he is really seeking that sign and certainty of his salvation through, you know, his imitation of Christ's martyrdom. Now, we would, we'll find in some later works and stuff like that, that, you know, Christians, uh, some of the communities would uh, actively encourage Christians seeking out martyrs. But the general consensus of the church was, uh, apart from those who may have had this special gift and special calling, not to encourage it because of the likelihood of failing. And, and we'll see that in a later 
uh, later series I'm going to do, but let's skip down now to chapter 4. I write to the churches and impress on them all that I should willingly die for God unless you hinder me. He says, don't interfere. He says, I've already been arrested. I'm on my way. Don't try to pull in favors to get me out. He says, I see the end. It's in, it's, it's in sight. You know, allow me to become food for the wild beasts through whose instrumentality it will be granted me to attain God. I am the wheat of God. Let me be ground by the teeth of wild beasts, that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. Rather, entice the wild beasts, that they may become my tomb, and may leave nothing of my body, so that when I have fallen asleep in death, I be, be, may be no trouble to anyone. Then I shall truly be a disciple of Christ, when the world shall see not my body, and treat Christ for me, that these instruments I may be found to be a sacrifice to God. Wow. That I may become the purebred of Christ, ground by the teeth of wild beasts. I mean, that that is, that is like pure, I mean, you won't almost say it's emotional love, but it's very clearly not like an emotional infatuation. You can tell it's like really this deep-seated, like burning love. This isn't, you know, the love that we would normally find with like, you know, teenagers in just an emotional state. It's like that real, true, visceral, complete dedication. Um, you know, the way that, you know, five or six or eight-year-old kid has that, like, complete love for their father. But you can also see that there's a lot of this rational comprehension. It's not an immature love. And that's what I found so inspiring about uh, Ignatius. Skipping now to chapter five. He talks about his desire to die. And I thought this was a little interesting perspective, you know, uh, what he called, he called the band of soldiers, you know, being bound to 10 leopards. I mean, a band of soldiers who, even when they receive benefits, show themselves to be all the worse. You know, kind of like Sid from Toy Story. You give them all these things and all they do is, you know, become worse and worse and more enabled. He said, but I am all the more instructed to act as a disciple of Christ by their injuries. Yet I'm still not thereby justified. May I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me? And I pray they may be found eager to rush upon me, which I will also tempt to devour me and not deal with me as with some who out of fear the beasts have not even touched. But may the animals be willing to assail me. If not, I will compel them to do so. Pardon me in this. I know it is for my benefit. Now I begin to be a disciple. Now I begin to be a disciple. You see this, like, this, this completely new perspective. Uh, it, it's really challenging compared to how many people I run into today, Protestant, Catholic, whatever. Oh, yeah, I'm a disciple of this. I follow this, this, this. And it's like, you know, um, man, could I only pray to be as, uh, as zealous and faithful and be found to be as genuine, you know, in my pursuit and acceptance of suffering for Christ as Ignatius did. Wow. Let the fire in the cross, let the crowds of the wild beasts. The tearings, breakings, dislocations of my bones, cutting off my members, the shatterings of my body. Let all of the torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me attain to Jesus Christ. And skipping down to chapter 6. Permit me to be an imitator of the passion of my God. That is his understanding in one sentence, if you want to put it on a bumper sticker. You know, that's what being a Christian is for Ignatius, right there. Skip down to chapter 7, do not speak of Jesus, and set your desires on the world. You know, don't talk about, oh, I love God, but I got to have my house, I got to have my Porsche, I got to have this, I got to have this, I got to have this. 
you know, man, if I don't make this promotion work, I'm going to be frustrated, or if I don't achieve this, you know, Ignatius is saying, you know, don't, don't talk about burning love with Christ and have your heart be elsewhere. Obviously, it doesn't mean you can't have a house, doesn't mean you can't have a car or anything else like that, but be mindful of where your real energy and affections lie. Because don't let envy find a dwelling place among you. Listen to me, and rather give credit to those things which I now write. And you find that same sentiment reflected in Paul, where he says, if somebody else comes preaching later, or if I come preaching later against what I've said now, just ignore that later stuff. Like, believe me now in what I say. But there is within me a water that lives and speaks, saying to me inwardly, Come to the Father. I have no delight in corruptible food, nor in the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, the heavenly bread, the bread of life, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became afterwards the seed of David and Abraham. And I desire the drink of God, namely his blood, which is incorruptible love and eternal life. And there is intense Eucharistic imagery. No, we don't have the sentence, the Eucharist is the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. But he is saying, I desire the heavenly bread, the bread of life, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. And we kind of see that a little bit in one of his later works, where he really talks about a physical union with Christ, and, you know, in a mystical communion here, and in literal communion in one of his other letters. Skipping down to chapter 8, he is the mouth altogether free from falsehood, by which the Father has truly spoken. He's saying Christ is the ultimate and true prophet of all of us. And that's where I'm going to kind of, um, you know, leave this to you. I hope to to uh, to give you a few more things to look at. But, you know, Christ being the true prophet, you know, and, and that, especially to those that were Judaizers uh, and to those that were in Greek philosophers or Greek philosophy, like Justin Martyr and, and other saints and stuff like that, like we have in this person of Christ, you know, a mouthpiece for the truth of God, for the truth of the invisible. And I, I think that's something I want you to try to meditate on and think about. Um, I'm going to leave you hanging next week. We're getting into the uh, epistle of the Philadelphians, and we'll also get into the epistle to the Smyrnians. And um, hopefully we can see a few more of uh, Ignatius's thoughts and, and life and teachings on Jesus Christ. Once again, thank you for joining us this week, and we'll see you soon. Once again, this is your host, Christopher, of the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show. If you have not already, go ahead and look at our website, theufcshow.com. It's got information about us and ways that you can follow, subscribe, or support us. We're on various podcast platforms. We're on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're able to, consider supporting us on Patron. Also want to give a shout out to Daniel Atchison, the music artist Atch, for permission to use his song forever in our productions. Until next time. Would like to offer my special thanks to the Antiochian Orthodox Choir Group, Incense, for letting us use their song, The Great Pokemon. You can find links to their music in the description.